We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. What's up and welcome to a history edition of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, you're fired. The Billy Martin Story. Today's show is brought to you by our partner, BetOnline.ag. NASCAR is back and BetOnline has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to bet on. You can participate in their $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge. And coming up on Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls players Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss The Last Dance, Michael Jordan documentary. You can check all that out at BetOnline.ag. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus when you sign up. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. When Billy Martin's number one was retired in August of 1986, he said, I may not have been the greatest Yankee to ever put on the uniform, but I was the proudest. And he was proud many, many times because he got to put on those pinstripes many, many times. 
As a player, the Yankees traded him once. As a manager, they hired and fired him five times. There were even rumors of a sixth return for Billy in 1990, but he died in a drunk driving accident on Christmas Day, 1989. And if that sounds tragic, it's because it was. Billy was a tragic figure in many ways. He was polarizing. He was loved and hated. He was feared and respected. He had friends and he had his enemies. Most of what you'll read or watch about Billy is a celebration of an amazing baseball life. He's a five-time World Series winner, four as a player, one as a manager, made an all-star team. He came up huge in clutch moments. His number is retired and he's honored in Monument Park. There is no greater honor as a Yankees player than having those things happen for you. The guy did more with less than almost any other player, but he was definitely a tragic figure. Alfred Manuel Martin Jr., Billy, hit 257 in 11 big league seasons for the Yankees, Athletics, Tigers, Indians, Reds, Braves, and Twins. He was a Yankee from 1950 to June 15, 1957, when he was traded to the Kansas City A's. Billy was never a great player, but he had his great moments. Last episode, the Subway Series Part 2, I told you about the time he saved the 1952 World Series with that clutch defensive play. Then the following year, he set a World Series record with 12 hits, hitting 500 in the series and driving in eight runs, leading the Yankees to victory. Billy once said, my one for four will kill you. In 105 World Series plate appearances, he slashed 333, 371, 566 with five home runs. That's a home run every 21 plate appearances in the World Series. Keep in mind, he's not a home run hitter. He's a slap hitter who hit a home run once every 58 plate appearances in the regular season. But on the biggest stage and the biggest moments, Billy showed up. Yankees manager Casey Stengel said, If liking a kid who will never let you down in the clutch moments is favoritism, then I plead guilty. Casey and Billy had a father-son relationship, which dates back to Casey's days managing the Oakland Oaks in the Pacific Coast League. Martin played under Stengel in the late 40s and they developed a bond. Stengel loved Billy's hard-nosed attitude and Billy, who had a really rough upbringing with no father figure, looked up to Casey as a mentor. Casey was dead set on bringing Billy to New York when he got the Yankees job, but not everyone with the Yankees was sold on Martin. GM George Weiss did not like Martin's reputation of being an on-field instigator and an off-field problem. Weiss always tried to bring players to the Yankees that would represent the team well on and off the field, that Yankees brand. Maybe he could look past Mickey Mantle's after-hours antics because he was a triple crown level player, but a 257 hitter? No way. It didn't matter though. Casey got his way and he got Billy to the Bronx, and by 1952, he was the starting second baseman. Casey always had Billy's back and he was a player's manager. He turned a blind eye to the Yankees' rat pack, which was made up of Martin, Mantle, Yogi, Whitey Ford, and Hank Bauer, as long as the team was winning, and they won almost every freaking year. They advanced to the World Series every year except 1954. Ironically, or coincidentally, that was the year that Billy Martin missed entirely because he was drafted into military service. Billy returned late in the 1955 season. After a World Series loss in 55 and a win in 56, the Yankees got off to a slow start in 57. Weiss was campaigning behind the scenes to trade Billy Martin, but Stengel always stood up for him. Weiss wanted Bobby Richardson and Tony Kubek to get more playing time. Both of them were up-and-coming infielders in 1957. Supposedly, before the 57 season, Weiss warned Martin to stay out of trouble. The reality is Weiss always warned Martin and the rest of the Rat Pack to stay out of trouble, so 57 was really no different. It's just talked about now in hindsight because of what happened that May. Weiss viewed Martin as the leader of the Rat Pack and thought he was a bad influence on guys like Mickey. 
Billy and Mickey were roommates and very close friends. The clip I'm about to play is an amazing story. It's known as the cow story. It happened long after their playing days, but it sums up their friendship perfectly. Mickey is talking in a one-on-one interview, and Billy is actually on David Letterman with George Steinbrenner in the 80s when he tells the story. He was down in Dallas last year, and he did such a good gun. They get a good uh, deal with that team down there, the turnaround gang, that they gave him a brand-new rifle, and he wanted to go hunting. So I said, well, uh, I'll take you down. I said, I know a guy down in, around San Antonio on a ranch outside of San Antonio in Lakey, Texas. He's a doctor, and he's a good friend of mine. I'm pretty sure he'll let us go hunting on his ranch. So I, but I said, you're going to have to get up like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning because it takes three or four hours to drive down there. He said, I don't care. I want to go deer hunting, you know, with my new rifle. So we drive all the way down there, you know, and I said, now you wait in the car and I'll go up and knock on the door. And I'll, I'll ask the doctor if it's all right to, for us to go hunting. So he stayed in the car. I go up and knock on the door. The doctor comes to the door and he said, hey, Mick, what are you doing down here? I said, well, I got Billy Martin, the new manager of the Rangers with me out in the car. And we was wondering if we could go deer hunting on your ranch. He said, oh, sure. Anytime, you know, come on down. Hey, by the way, would you do me a favor? I said, what's that? He said, uh, when you go through the barnyard, so you see that old mule. Standing over by the barn, I said, "Yeah." He said, "Would you shoot that mule for me?" I said, "Oh, Christ, oh, we don't want to. We don't want to shoot your mule. You know, we come down here to hunt deer." He said, "Well, if you'd be doing me a big favor, because he said I just don't have the heart. I've had him a long time. So, uh, he he's about twenty years old. He hasn't done any work for ten years. I'm gonna have to have him put away anyway. If you'd shoot him for me, you'd really be doing me a big favor." So I said, "Okay, I'll we'll shoot the mule." So I'm walking back to the car. I think I want to pull a joke on Billy, you know. So I run out to the car and I yanked the door open. I said, give me my rifle. Billy goes, what's the matter? I said, we drove four hours to get down here to go deer hunting. This guy said, we can't go deer hunting. I'm going to shoot his mule. Billy goes, oh, my God. He said, don't do that. He's trying to grab the rifle back. You know, so we'll get in jail. We'll get in trouble and everything. I said, give me the rifle. I finally get the rifle away from him. I go running out to the barn, <laughs> shoot the mule right in the neck, right? Mule falls over. About that time, right behind me, I hear bam, bam, bam. I turn around. There's Billy with his gun. Mickey says that guy won't let us hunt here. I said, Mickey, you got to be kidding me. He said, Nice. No. I'm so mad. I'm gonna go up to his barn and shoot his mule. <laughs> I said, Mickey, you can't shoot the man's mule. He says, I'm going to shoot his mule. I said, Okay. So we go up to the barn and he pulls out his rifle and kills the mule. And just then. He hears, bam, bam. He turns around and says, what are you doing? There you go. I said, I got two of his cows. <laughs> Mickey is a little long-winded with the story, but it's well worth it. And it really does sum up Billy perfectly as a teammate, as a manager, and as a friend. You couldn't help but want him on your side, but man, is he crazy. Weiss was looking for a reason to break up the Rat Pack, and the Copacabana nightclub incident was the final straw. The guys and their wives were out celebrating Billy's 29th birthday in May. After a booze-filled dinner, they went to see Sammy Davis Jr. at the Copa. They encountered a bunch of bowlers from the Bronx, so a bowling team, who were heckling Sammy Davis and the Yankees players were pissed about this. Now, if this whole thing sounds very 1950s, that's because, well, it is 1950s. There are numerous versions of what actually happened, but here's what I've pieced together. Billy told the guys to stop or they'll have to step outside, and they actually ended up going downstairs. There was a brawl, and one of the bowlers, who was a Bronx deli owner, ended up with a concussion and a broken jaw. Some people thought it was Martin who punched the guy, but it was most likely Hank Bauer. And that's who the eventual lawsuit was brought against. Bauer denied ever touching the guy, and the Yankees players have never said who actually hit him. In the Billy Martin Yankeeography, a guy tells a story about his father, 
Leonard Lyons, who was a New York Post entertainment columnist, who was one of the first to write a story about the incident. Lyons was at the nightclub, noticed there was an incident going on, and apparently made a deal with Yogi Berra. He would sneak the Yankees players out through a back entrance if he could get the scoop on the story the next day. And the next day, my father's column began. There are now three great battlefields in American history, Gettysburg, Iwo Jima, and the Copacabana nightclub. The story gets even weirder from there. Police refused to take action against Bauer, so Edwin Jones, the deli owner, had Bauer taken into custody on citizen's arrest. It all led to a trial, and Yankees players had to testify before a grand jury. This was terrible press for the team. Players were fined and some were benched. Whitey Ford was supposed to pitch the next day, but Stengel pulled him. He dropped Bauer to eighth in the lineup, but he kept Martin third. When asked why Mickey wasn't punished, Casey said, I'm mad at Mickey too for being out late, but I'm not mad enough to take a chance on losing a ball game and possibly the pennant. The case was eventually thrown out for insufficient evidence. The fallout hit Martin the hardest though. He was traded on June 15th along with Ralph Terry and two minor leaguers to the Kansas City A's for Harry Suitcase Simpson, Ryan Duran, and Jim Pisoni. The trade worked out well for the Yankees, actually. The minor league players they traded didn't amount to anything. Duran was a great relief pitcher for them, and Terry found his way back to the Yankees two years later. But Billy was devastated. He didn't have the same passion for putting on another uniform that he did the pinstripes. He bounced from team to team, never spending more than a season anywhere. His problems became even worse. His first game with the A's was actually against the Yankees, and in classic Billy fashion, he showed up for the big moment. He hit a home run and scored three runs, but he was never the same player after the trade. In 1960, when playing for Cincinnati, Martin was sued for punching Cubs pitcher Jim Brewer during a benches-clearing brawl. Brewer suffered a broken bone in his face and was hospitalized and didn't pitch for the rest of the season. The brawl started because Martin took exception to a pitch near his head from Brewer, Now, whether Brewer actually was throwing at Martin or not, Billy had a long history of instigating on-field brawls to this point, so nobody was surprised when he was at the center of it. He was suspended five games and fined, and the following year, 1961, was the last year he played. After a while, Billy eventually did find his calling, managing. He would gain the reputation as the franchise fixer because he repeatedly turned around struggling or inexperienced teams and made them a legit threat. His overall record is 1,253 and 1,013 as a manager. That's a 553 winning percentage. That's really, really good. He took the Twins from 7th place to 1st place in 1969. He took a below 500 Tigers team to a division contender three years in a row. He took a new Rangers franchise and made them legitimate. This was all before he managed the Yankees to the pennant in 76 and World Series title in 77. Billy was a great manager. He was an innovator. He understood the value of the designated hitter, and he was actually a proponent of the universal DH. He loved aggressive, small ball style play. His teams frequently led in categories like bunting, sacrifices, and stolen bases. His style of managing was dubbed Billy Ball. He also utilized the platoon player for matchups and was not afraid to sit veterans when the situation dictated. This was especially unpopular thing to do in this time period. He saw value in statistics and how computers could revolutionize the managerial decisions, even though that was all in its infancy in the 1970s and 80s. There was just one problem. He was fired from every job he ever had. If I had to pick one manager in the history of the game that would come in and be a great short-term fix for a ball club, get the most out of them on a short-term basis, it'd be Billy. That was Jerry Naren talking, who played under Billy. He said short-term twice in that 10-second quote. Billy was combative, argumentative, 
defiant, and especially did not like to be told how to do his job. With Minnesota, he got into a fight with one of his own players, pitcher Dave Boswell. He also kicked former U.S. Vice President Herbert Humphrey out of the clubhouse after a loss when he was visiting the team. This embarrassed ownership, and his drinking was getting worse and worse, especially on road trips. In Detroit, he had a well-publicized feud with Tiger slugger Willie Horton. His on-field tirades were becoming more frequent, and even though fans loved them, Tiger's ownership did not. He once called out the stadium organist in Oakland for supposedly distracting players and accused the Baltimore scoreboard operator of stealing signs. The last straw came when he told his pitchers to throw spitballs because Indians pitcher Gaylord Perry was not being called out by umpires for it. After the game, he told the media what he did, and since that's illegal, he was suspended. He was fired before his suspension was up. And that brings us to Texas, where his drinking was getting even worse, and he was fired after he publicly criticized the owner for not knowing anything about baseball. His record with those three teams was 482 and 410. Do you realize how much of an a-hole you have to be to be fired from three different teams in less than five years when your winning percentage is 540? But that didn't matter. The Yankees came a-calling. He was hired because Steinbrenner was looking for a splash manager hire. George got what he asked for. The Yankees advanced to the World Series in 1976 for the first time in over a decade, and then they won the 1977 World Series. Even though the team had success, the Bronx was burning. The Yankees signed Reggie Jackson in 1977, and he and Billy clashed immediately. Billy had a history of not getting along with his star player. I just told you about Willie Horton in Detroit. He didn't get along with his star players for one reason or another. With Reggie, Billy thought he had a cocky attitude. He also probably didn't like that Reggie got a ton of attention. Steinbrenner and fans loved him. It hit a breaking point on June 18th at Fenway Park when Billy pulled Reggie out of right field in the middle of an inning because he thought he was dogging it on a fly ball. Oh, look at look at this. Look at Billy. Is he hot? Reggie has done that on several balls hit to right field. Look, Elston getting between. He wants to make sure there are no blows struck down there. Billy is really upset. That may be the first time I've ever seen that happen in a dugout. Billy wants to get at Reggie. He's being restrained by, uh, that's in full view of the crowd, being restrained by Yogi Berra and Elston Howard. Elston Howard has his hand. Billy gets around, but now Yogi's got him and try to wrestle him down. Yogi's got him. Yogi's got him, and who's that on the bench? That's Bobby Cox, I believe. No, that was Dick Hauser had him from behind, and Yogi has him in front. And in full view of uh, the Boston crowd on the right side. And certainly, as you can see, in full view of our cameras, and we would presume the Game of the Week cameras as well. Having room with Billy Martin and played with him for so many years... Among other things that they fought about, Billy refused to bat Reggie cleanup. Billy despised the Sport Magazine article written in June of 77 when Reggie said, I'm the straw that stirs the drink. It created a divide. Reggie versus Billy turned into Billy versus George. This is Reggie Jackson talking with Howard Stern in 2009 about his beef with Martin. But yes. you hated him, right? You hated Billy Martin. I didn't like him. I didn't waste my time hating people. It, it, it's too much effort. He played mind games with you. I mean, he would have... Yes. What did he want, do? Well, yes. he, you know, batting fourth, uh-huh. in the fourth position, mm-hmm. cleanup, as mm-hmm. they say. Yeah, he wouldn't let it happen. He wouldn't let Reggie, really? Mr. Jackson, right. do this. Right. Now, right. Uh, why? Why the that bug up his ass? That was bad for the team. Well, because I think that he thought it was very important to me, which it was. Yes. Um, at the same time, it's a special thing at that time 
who's never been a black superstar with the Yankees, although Elston Howard was a great, great player. I think what you're implying is Billy Martin had it in for you, so to speak, want to put you in your place. That's correct. By that his power trip. In other words, hey, you want to be clean up? It ain't going to happen. Are, uh, I'm the boss right. man. The way that I became the cleanup hitter right. is Thurman Munson and Lou Pinella went to Billy Martin's room in early August 1977. Said, Billy, we're struggling. Uh, you're, you're hurting the ball club by not hitting this guy cleanup. Get out of the way and let him go. And, and, they, and we, then he we listened? We wound up being 41 and 11 our last 52 games. I didn't realize you two were going at <laughs> oh, yeah. it that he never much spoke. all he ne- the time. He never spoke to me for about a year and a half, first year and a half I was there. Wow. He had an intermediary named Fran Healy, a catcher, mm-hmm. that came in like, I didn't play the fifth game of the playoffs against Kansas City and the Yankees in 1977. Hmm. Okay, I was benched, and right. it was a big national thing. So Fran Healy comes out of the manager's office, and he comes to me, and he says, Reggie, he says, you're not playing tonight. I said, really? I said, well, <laughs> who's supposed to tell me? You, you're the backup catcher. <laughs> and Fran and Fran says, No, I was in there and Billy called me in. He told one of the coaches to tell you and he wouldn't tell you. He said, So I'm telling you. He said, Now let me tell you what you need to do. You need to go out on the bench. You need to not act upset. You need to be a part of the team. The cameras are gonna be on you. You make you'll you'll the people and the fans will go against you if you act so if you sulk or whatever he said. So if you have to pretend, just just be rooting for the team. Because you never know, you may get in there. In, in, in the ninth inning, I went in and got a pinch hit. And Reggie out. ended up having his most played appearances from the cleanup spot that season. And obviously, the results were there, despite all of the tension. The Yankees won the World Series. But the next year, 78, shit hit the fan. The narrative is that the Yankees had a World Series hangover to start the season. Because by July 17th, they were 14 games behind the Red Sox in the division. The reality is that the Red Sox played out of their minds the first three months, while the Yankees were just okay. That July 17th date that I mentioned was a low point for the Yankees, but it was also the low point for the Billy versus Reggie show. Martin gave Reggie the bunt signal in the 10th inning of a tie game versus Kansas City to advance Munson to second base. Martin reconsidered after the first pitch and gave Reggie the swing away sign. Reggie, though, continued to try to bunt and eventually popped up his final attempt. In the middle of it all going on, third base coach Dick Hauser even went to Reggie to tell him verbally the bunt sign was off. Reggie just blatantly ignored Billy Martin's sign. The Yankees lost in the 11th inning. The next day, Martin said, I was shocked. I understood what he was doing. Here was a player denying me and his teammates. It stinks. The bunting incident led Martin to suspend Reggie indefinitely, which turned into a five-game suspension. And George Steinbrenner actually supported the decision, saying you can't have players defying the manager. But a few days later, when the team was leaving Chicago, Martin shot his way out of town by making a comment to reporters about Reggie and George. He said, the two of them deserve each other. One's a born liar, the other's convicted. Billy ended up resigning on July 24th. He looked haggard when he was talking to the media, and had he not resigned, he would have been fired. Bob Lemon came in to replace him as manager. Billy's outburst about Reggie made sense. His outburst towards George, though, came out of nowhere. Steinbrenner said he was shocked to hear Billy's comments because their working relationship over the past two to three weeks had been so good. They were on the same page with Reggie. Billy was going through some off-field health issues at the time. He'd also been upset about a clause in his contract that George insisted be put in, that Billy would be subject to fines if he made public comments critical of Steinbrenner or the front office. It would also seem Billy was upset about losing his clubhouse. But the Yankees' epic turnaround that year actually started by late July, 
They stormed back to beat the Red Sox in the tiebreaker. They won the division and they won the World Series. Billy just was not there to manage it. If you thought all of that was a circus, now this is where things really get weird. A week later at Old Timers Day, the Yankees announced that Billy Martin was returning to manage the Yankees for the 1980 season. What? Remember, this is Old Timers Day in 1978, and they're announcing Martin will be the manager two years down the line. Introducing and announce at the same moment that the manager of the Yankees for the 1980 season and hopefully for many years after that will be number one, Billy Martin. Martin received the loudest and longest ovation of the day. Are you ready to hear what the plan was? Martin would serve as a team advisor and then secede Bob Lemon in 1980. Lemon would then become the general manager, replacing Cedric Tallis. Tallis was going to return to his previous duties as vice president and director of scouting. But with George, nothing goes to plan. He just loved the spectacle of it. The Yankees struggled to start the 79 season, so George fired Lemon and brought Billy Martin back earlier. Lemon managed the team's epic 78 comeback, but George could not stay away from Billy. The 79 season was difficult for many reasons. They finished in fourth place, but Munson's death in August really just devastated the team, especially Billy, who was very close with Thurman. After the season, Martin was fired because he got into a fight with a marshmallow salesman at a hotel in Minneapolis. This is where a record-scratching noise would play? A, A marshmallow salesman? Are you kidding me? According to Martin's autobiography, the marshmallow man told Martin he didn't deserve his Manager of the Year award. Martin responded by betting the man $500 he could beat him up. Martin won the bet. Imagine being so thin-skinned that you let a marshmallow salesman, which is one of the more ludicrous job descriptions I've ever heard of, get to you. This was Martin's temper problem. After this firing, which was Yankees firing number two, Billy took a little bit of a hiatus from the Yankees. He went to manage his hometown A's in the 1980 season, and he turned them around immediately. They reached the ALCS in 1981, but they lost to the Yankees, and this obviously crushed Billy. An interesting thing that happened around this time was his celebrity went past baseball. He appeared on the cover of Time Magazine in 81 with the title, It's Incredible. And a few years later, in 1986, he appeared on an episode of Saturday Night Live. It's not every day that a a baseball manager, not even a player, a manager gets those sort of things. But just a year later, Martin wore out his welcome in Oakland and he was fired, but not out of work for long. I have every reason to believe that... uh... Uh, we will have a great relationship and that we're going to go back to a winning basic formula and bring back a championship to New York. And uh, you've got to go with a winner in order to get a winner. And as you look at the records of the various managers, there are only two or three managers in baseball today active who have winning records from the time they started managing. And Alfred Martin is one of those fellas. I've had a lot of long talks with George. A lot of you guys are going to wonder how we're going to get along. Like, I'm sure you're going to ask me that question later on. Well, we've straightened a lot of things out. They'll, uh, for instance, I'll be handling all the trades. What do you mean? Uh, there'll be no phone calls in the dugout. What do you mean? That is not, no. That's not right. I'm handling the trades. 
That isn't the way we say it, I have the right to call you in the dark. And that's not the way it's going to be, George. You're damn right it is, and if you don't like it, you're fired. You haven't hired me yet. The 83 season was highlighted by the George Brett pine tar incident, but Billy was also suspended on two separate occasions for umpire abuse. Don't you be intimidating me. I'm not intimidating you. Don't you be intimidating me. I'm not intimidating you. Don't you tell us something. As far as I'm concerned, he went enough. Well, that's good enough for me, but sometimes get some help on it too, all right? All right. That's the rule. That was actually one of the nicer exchanges he had with umps. It's really the only audio that's clear that I could find of him yelling at an umpire. He had hundreds that ended in him kicking dirt, screaming, and being ejected. The Yankees finished third that year despite winning 91 games. In December, Billy was replaced with Yogi Berra as manager. There was no one incident that led to this firing. I'm using air quotes around firing this time because Billy remained on the payroll. It was just a general distraction among the team all year long in 83, and Billy was always at the center of it. I think Butch Winnegar summed it up best. He said, He's a guy that I admired, but despised. The team didn't perform great under Yogi in 84, and even though George said Yogi would remain the manager, he was fired in early 1985 and replaced with Billy. The Yankees were really good this year. They won 97 games, but they finished second behind Toronto. Ricky Henderson had a monster year, and this was Don Mattingly's MVP season. Billy was a mess. After a losing streak in September effectively knocked them out of the playoff race, he fought Ed Whitson at a hotel bar in Baltimore. Whitson is well known among Yankee fans who remember the 80s as being a great pitcher elsewhere who stunk once the Yankees signed him. So he's the Carl Pavano of the 1980s. Whitson could fight though, apparently had martial arts training, and he kicked Billy's ass, breaking his arm. Billy was fired yet again. This is number four. Of this firing, George said, The reason I took myself out of this thing was because I was simply fed up with everything that happened with Billy after the season. The barroom stuff was bad enough, but then he demanded to renegotiate his contract and made it sound like I was ungrateful to him. Who else brought him back to manage four times? Who else paid half of his hotel bills that weren't paid? Who else gave him a $200,000 loan to pay his back income taxes? He tried to call my bluff, and this is what has happened. I'm sorry it happened, but I just got fed up. Kind of sounds like George was a little bit of an enabler for Billy. It almost ended there, at Billy 4. He remained close to the team as an advisor. In 86, his number was retired and he was honored in Monument Park. But George couldn't resist temptation. Billy was hired for a fifth time in 1988. In May of that year, he was involved in yet another brawl, this time at a Dallas strip club. He also dealt with more on-field umpire issues and suspensions. A month later, Steinbrenner fired him for a fifth and final time. By this point, though, the main concern was with Billy's well-being as a human, never mind as a baseball manager. After the Yankees limped to the 1980s finish line, there were rumors that Billy was coming back for the 1990 season, Billy 6. Sadly, though, Billy died at the age of 61 on December 25th, 1989. It's definitely tragic how his life ended. He couldn't get out of this vicious and repetitive cycle. In a twisted way, though, Billy's death and also George's suspension from baseball operations were the best things for the Yankees as an organization. They purged themselves of the 1980s and rebuilt in the 90s into what we know them as today. Billy was known for being a gritty baseball player and manager. Billy was made famous for his outbursts, both good and bad, his feuds and his flaws. But Billy is remembered for being hired and fired. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It's just reality. Thanks for listening.
You know, a lot of people think Billy and I argue all the time. Actually, we agree on just about everything, right, Bill? Yeah, you betcha, George. We even drink the same beer. Light beer from Miller's. Light's got a third less calories than the regular beer. And it's less filling. And the best thing is it tastes so great. No, George, the best thing is less filling. No, Bill, it tastes great. Less filling, George. Billy, it tastes great. Less filling, George. Billy? Yeah, George. You're fired. Oh, not again. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.